Good morning. Welcome to Selma Culver City. Welcome to 2018. It's good to be with all of you. In just a minute, we're going to spend some time sharing what God has been doing amongst us. It's a tradition we have every Sunday or the first Sunday of every month. Um, This Sunday, we are doing a little different because people are still filtering back into town and all the chaos of holidays. We're not having a meal together afterwards, although we do encourage you all to go and grab a meal together. But we will be sharing in just a moment. I wanted to start off with a reflection to sort of set our hearts and think about uh, what 2018 looks like and what it looks like to uh, set our heart on what God is doing amongst us. Uh, In 1722 and 1723, uh, one of the earlier New Year's types resolutions was written by Jonathan Edwards. He says, Resolved to inquire every night before I go to bed whether I have acted in the best way I possibly could with respect to eating and drinking. I don't know if any of you have made resolutions this year, but this often sounds like the type of resolutions we make. I will diet more, I will be healthier, I will exercise, I will have some me time, some self-care. But for our intention today, as we look forward to 2018, which is also what we're doing over the next two Sundays, as we set a vision before you of what this will look like, um, Jonathan Edwards is actually a much more of a a better guide than just our self-care. Jonathan Edwards had a number of other resolutions, 70 in fact. He said in his, um, I think it was his 40th resolution, resolved, after afflictions, to inquire what I am the better for them, what good I have got by them, and what I might have got by them. How many of you are setting your New Year's resolutions about making the most of your suffering this year? It's a pretty beautiful thought. Now, a list of 70 resolutions can be pretty overwhelming and pretty legalistic, and so it has to be framed properly just as the resolutions that we make personally and as a community need to be framed properly. And so to protect his heart, before any of these 70 resolutions, Jonathan Edwards had a preface to make sure he understood who does this amongst us, who gives us the power to be successful in following through. So he said, Being sensible that I am unable to do anything without God's help, I do humbly entreat him by his grace to enable me to keep these resolutions so far as they are agreeable to his will for Christ's sake. So I encourage you as we think about our goals as missional communities, as a church, and as individuals that we be doing the same. We're remembering that God is the one who accomplishes these things. And then what I really love about Edwards is his purpose behind his resolutions. They aren't self-care. His very first resolution in that list says, Resolved, that I will do whatsoever I think to be most to God's glory in my own good, profit, and pleasure. His purpose in these resolutions is not just to become the better version of Jonathan Edwards. It's to give God glory. And in the process, he knows that that's how we live our best life. That's how we receive the most joy and pleasure. And so as you think about 2018, and as we share about what God's been doing, and we think about, um, through our message, what our resolutions will be, what our vision will be, I encourage you to remember those things that he set before us as well. And I'd encourage you to go check out that list of 70 resolutions. They're pretty awesome, pretty overwhelming. Um, but they end up at the very front of this guy's life. When he was 19 years old, he set these before himself. And we could see the way that God was faithful to follow through those uh, before him. So now what I'm going to do is turn over the mic to all of you. Because one of the ways that we can find success in these resolutions is by remembering and encouraging each other with what God has done. With scriptures that have encouraged us over the last month with ways that God has acted, with experiences that you've had, because that keeps us moving forward. It helps us to remember. So now is your time to share. Um, So let me pray for us, and we'll have the the worship team come back up, and we'll do a couple more songs in worship. 
and then uh, Tripp will be sharing with us today. Father, thank you so much for this year. In some ways, uh, January 1st is completely arbitrary, um, that really every day your mercies are new and we can cling to you and we know that the mistakes we've made are wiped away because of Jesus' blood, but that doesn't mean we can't use something arbitrary to um, encourage us and to remind us and to celebrate you, help us um, put all kinds of things in our lives to remember your faithfulness. And so I pray that as we look forward to a new year and a new season, that you would um, be what we seek, that your glory would be uh, where we find our pleasure, and that this community would be marked by that, a joy deeply felt through seeking your glory and loving one another. Thank you so much that we get to do that together. Thank you for today, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. Good morning. That's terrible. <laughs> Maybe that's part of the New Year's resolution. We'll talk back more. My kids have already on that. Um, <laughs> shouted them out, I'm sorry. Started it good. Well, good morning. <laughs> Happy New Year. Let me just start over. Um, yeah, so I'm going to stick to my guns. It is good to be back with you this morning, worshiping as family together. Um, I know that many of you got to spend some time with your biological family over the last few weeks, whether that's been here or in other cities. Um, but I am very thankful that, that we get to do life together as family in this city and get to call each other family. Um, family is not just a word that we like throw out there or that we have like listed over here somewhere, um, but, but it's really a reality and identity that we have in Christ. Um, because we have the same dad, we get to be brothers and sisters. We get to be family with one another. So it doesn't matter if you've been part of, of a family, this family for a few weeks, or you've been part of this family for the past seven years, young or old, man or woman, we all have the same equal rights um, and are equally valued um, in the family of God. Now, one of the things that we have done um, every January um, as kind of a local family um, is we started, really since we started that first January 2011 in my living room um, is really we've we've taken January some time in January to cast some vision and to talk about what it what it looks like to live as a gospel people who would live a gospel life so that would God would be seen as the one who's actually worth worshiping and that others in this city would get to experience really an abundant life not only that God offers in the future but offers right now in the everyday. That the reality is that we get to now be a group of people that, that actually want to live together. How about that? that? We actually get to be family together, to be on mission together, to learn from one another, to, to serve one another. That we really get to choose to be family with one another and not just, just taste it or get a little sniff of it or, or hints of it, but that we get to deeply know and experience what it is to have life together in the family of God. It's really what I want to say is what, what God has always wanted for his people. It's what his restoration plan is all about, and that he would restore us back to so that we would learn to live really in the way that he created us to be from the very beginning of time. And that as we did that, those on the outside would, would be invited into a family that loves and deeply cares for one another, 
that you and I would be, would be really be eager to enter into relationship with one another because of what Jesus has done. Really, if we look all throughout Scripture, we see this idea of the family of God. And what God always says to his people is this. He says, he says to them, I will be, you will be my people and I will be your God. You will be my people and I will be your God. He wants to make sure that as, as we think about being a part of a family, that we know that we have this lineage that goes back to the very beginning of time, back to the very beginning of the story. That we're actually called into something that is way bigger than what takes place in this room, and that is way bigger than what takes place in this city, and than what takes place even in this year of 2018. That, that, that we're part of a story that goes back to the very beginning. And it's about God and his people, about God and his family. It's why the Christmas season that we just have come out of is really so important and such a cause to celebrate is because God has redeemed and restored and has expanded his family through the birth of a child. And so I want to look at John 1 here first this morning. We're going to kind of bounce a little bit and hopefully get to Ephesians. Um, but John 1, 9, 13, 9 through 13 says this, and it's talking about Jesus, and it says this, A true light, the true light that gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. And he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of husband's will, but born of God. Do you notice what it said there? That his own did not receive him, but anyone who would. Anyone. That means Jew or Gentile. Any, any ethnicity. It means slave or free. It means any station that you are in life means man or woman, any gender that you and I, we get to place our faith in what God has done and we get to become equal parts of the family of God. And now we get to call God our Father. We get to call Him Dad. That, we, that we're His children, that we're, we're part of His family now. Scripture says, Abba, Father, that we get to have Him as our Dad. And I know that for some of you, when we think about family or we think about dad, maybe you don't have a very good image or picture of a father because your earthly father didn't do a very good job of reflecting what God was like. Or maybe when you think about family, your, your idea of family may be a little bit skewed because of the brokenness within your own family. Maybe even this time of year, this past season that we came out of, you kind of were reminded more of that over the past holiday season. Or maybe for some of you who've actually seen or been a part of, of brokenness within the family of God, within the church. People who were supposed to image God to you didn't do that very well. And your heart may be hurt because of those things. And it's even maybe hard for you to imagine what God's family is supposed to look like and how they're supposed to interact and love and care for one another and those around them. And when we say dad or family, it brings up this idea of, of pain or this mixed feeling in your heart. I'm sure in a group of this size, some of that is true. But I want to remind us when we think about father and we think about family, the dad image that you're supposed to have as God as our dad, we remember that he's the father that gave us life, who deeply cares for you, 
who gives you everything that you need, not everything you want, but everything that you actually need for life. He's a dad who disciplines us not to just get back at us, but because he loves us so that we might return to him and become everything that he actually intended us to be and do. There's a good dad right there. Sometimes we run out and we try to escape from our dad. (laughs) But uh, anyway, he's a good dad, right? God is a really good dad. He's not just a good dad. He's actually the best dad. And so when John says here that anyone who receives him, he gives the right to be children of God, that's the dad that we actually get and have. And so I want to remind you as we dive into a discussion both this week and next week of practically what it looks like for us to live as a church, to be a part of his family in this city. Um, Don't lose sight of the fact that we are part of the body of Christ, part of the family of Christ. That when we receive him as our dad, fundamentally what we're saying is that God has made us family and he has saved us really back to a pre-fall state in the garden. He made, he's made us back into what we've been meant to be. His children, as family, as brothers and sisters, with God as our Father. And he actually gives us the desire to live with one another as brothers and sisters in that way. To live in a gospel-centered way despite our own brokenness and the brokenness around us. And that is only possible through Jesus. It's only possible through Jesus. See, the reality is that when you and I were born into this world, we were born into Adam's family. Adam is your father. He's the father of humanity. He's the head of all of humanity. He's the head of the family. Headship, when we talk about headship, it it means the one who, who actually makes decisions on your behalf. And so Adam made a decision on your behalf of all of us. He chose to rebel against God, and that is our head. People who choose to rebel against God. That's our lineage. But now in Christ, we get to have a new father and a new head. Second Corinthians says that we are new creations, that we get to have a new head, that we get to trade in our, our broken headship for a perfect headship, for, for one who actually made the right decision on our behalf. You see, Jesus actually chose to obey God rather than to seek self-glory. So in Christ, we get to join a new family. We get to have the power to actually overcome the sinful nature that we were actually born with. We get to have power in a new life in Jesus. And as we talk about the vision for being the church and and being his family in this city, please know this is where it all begins. With a new head and a new father and the spirit giving you birth to actually live out the life that he's called us to live. You see, the good news of the gospel is that that regardless of what you and I have done, regardless of how much we've actually rebelled against God, he wants to do this for you. He actually wants to give you a new life. He wants to give you a new family. He wants to give you a new identity and a new way to walk that out. See, the good news is that you and I can't do anything to actually join this family on our own. And that we can't do anything to actually live out the family as the church on our own either. Right? If we could actually live it out, then God's mission would actually be dependent on us. 
God saving our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers, us living the life he calls us to, would be dependent on how well we actually shared his story or how well we lived out a good life in front of them. But that is not actually the truth of the gospel. The gospel says that it has nothing to do with us. And my guess is if we actually stopped and went around, we could all share about brokenness in our lives and within the church where, where we've experienced trying to do it on our own. And how, how, how futile and how tiring and how weighty that is when we've tried to live the life of God without the power of God. If it's dependent on you or on me, we might as well all just go home right now. It would be foolish to go on and even to try But the good news of the gospel is that God has given us the power for salvation, but he's also given us the power through his spirit to live out the purpose of salvation as a family in the everyday until we're completely restored in the future. It's one of the reasons why prayer is such an important part of the walk of Christ and the walk of of this life. You see, prayer is, is way more than just communication with God. It's a place where authentic relationship with the God of the universe takes place. Prayer really is, is a realigning of one's heart. Um, it's it's the really the, the place where we, we admit our need, a place where we abandon our pride, a place where we place our hope and our dependence on the one who is actually in control. It's really an alignment of our heart with his, it's the practice of, of really the presence of God. It's, it's, the, it's the place where we in our lives get to know and get to understand that it's actually dependent on him, not on us. As we think about what God is going to call us into as a family in this next year and in the years to come, please know that it's going to require God doing his work. And for us, moment by moment, and to daily call on him to give us the strength to actually walk boldly and faithfully into the things that he calls us to do and the things that he's leading us into. You see, we have this, we have this overall vision for the church that we've, we've shared many times. We have this vision for the church of gospel saturation of Los Angeles and the greater Los Angeles area so that every man, woman, and child We're to have a daily encounter with Jesus through word or deed. But that that vision is way bigger than us. That that vision, that goal that we started with seven years ago hasn't changed. It wasn't really a a one-year goal or a a five-year goal or a a ten-year vision or even a twenty-year vision. This is a a lifetime legacy goal and one that's way bigger than us and one that's, that's... that's bigger and, and unachievable in our own strength. No strategic plan or personal gifting or talented people or talented leaders can pull that off. It's only Jesus that can reach this vast city with the good news of the gospel. And yet, as a family, he calls us to participate in that plan by working in us and empowering us to faithfully live and to work in his power to see gospel saturation take place all over the city. In Ephesians chapter 3, I want to turn there, and we're going to spend uh, the rest of our time today and and next week looking at this passage. Um, In Ephesians chapter 3, it really tells us why he calls us to participate, 
despite him actually needing us to participate. Why he calls us to participate despite needing us to accomplish anything. Ephesians 3 is really this great passage of where we see, we see Paul's prayer and his vision for the church in Ephesus. And Ephesus was a, was a city, I don't want to say it has a lot of similarities to L.A. Ephesus was, was one of the major cities in the ancient world. It was a city with, with great influence. It was, it was a city where many people would come to visit. People would come there for, for many, many reasons. They would come there for commerce. Um, but Ephesians, uh, Ephesus was also home to one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. The temple of Artemis was there. And it was this, this amazing building and grounds where, where all kinds of worship took place. Ephesus, during the, the Roman Empire, it was actually built the Library of Celsius. It's one of the most impressive buildings in the Roman Empire was built there in this city. And this, this library actually stored over 12,000 scrolls. It was the third largest library in the entire ancient world. Alongside of the, of the temple and the library and the commerce, there was this great theater that was capable of holding 25,000 spectators. So it was a city of destination, a city of idol worship. It was a city of intellect and, 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 and education. And it was a city of entertainment. Any of those things sound anything familiar? Right? And if you look at the book of Acts, you find out that as the gospel of Jesus goes out forth from Jerusalem, and as Paul is traveling he, and preaching, he comes to the city of Ephesus, and he, and he lives among the people, and, and he works as a tent maker, not just like doing some other job, but actually as a tent maker. Right? That's where the word comes from. And, and God establishes a church there, and this church becomes an important church in the early century, in the early church of Christianity. And Ephesus becomes this hub for, for sending missionaries and for starting other churches all over the region and all over the world. And in, in this church is where, where Paul actually writes many of the epistles that we have in Scripture. And now while Paul is, is sitting in jail in Rome, he writes back to the church in Ephesus, to the people in the city, and he tells them what he's praying for for this church. And what we see him do in this prayer is he reminds them about, about what has God has done and he encourages them to live in God's power. And as we read this prayer this morning, uh, at, really to this family of God in Ephesus, I want you to also know that when God writes something in Scripture, it's not just for those people, it's for all of God's family. And so as you think about this, I want you to think about L.A. and think about the family of God that he's placed here. And think about what what God has done in the past and also what God is going to call us into in the future and how he's going to call us into participating in his work of gospel saturation. So Ephesians chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 14. It says this, For this reason I knelt before the Father, for whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Look, there's that reminder there of what we just talked about earlier, that we have the same dad. Actually, this, this word family here in Greek has the same root word as father. So it says father and then family kind of comes out of those same, those things kind of like a double reminder of headship that, that God has come and we have him as our new head. 
we no longer live under the headship of Adam. It says, For this reason I knelt before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. So he's the one that brings power. He's, he's the one that strengthened us. And then verse 17 tells us why. Verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all of the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. And it is to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Please notice here that the reason God calls us to participate in his work is in this city is not for other people. It's not just for other people. Yes, he's after them, but he doesn't need us for that. If we look at these verses, the primary reason why he calls us into these purposes is because he's after our own hearts in the midst of the work that he calls us into. Verse 17, it says that he calls us into work to grow our faith and to root us in love. The work that he calls us into produces a growth of faith in us. When we think about growing faith, what that really means is that we would, if we grow in our faith, that we would actually believe the promises of God over the lies of the flesh that our flesh tells us every day. The growing in faith is, is really more than just, just some, some biblical knowledge, but to actually have those truths of God move from up here in our heads down into our hearts so that we would actually live and act in light of those truths. That's what it means to grow in faith. Faith is always action-oriented. It's not just informational. It's actually operational. Faith is an action you see, we've maybe have heard this illustration before, but, but I can say that I've had faith in it. I can have faith in this chair is going to hold me up, but that's only a statement. It's only until I sit in the chair that faith is actually realized. And then day after day, as I go back and I sit down in that chair, my faith actually grows more and more in the ability for that chair to hold me up. I want to say it's the same way with God, that the more and more that we lean on his truth and walk in his ways that he calls us to live, the more, the more our faith grows as we see his power to hold us up and his power to work in our lives and in the lives of others. See, our participation in his plan in this city and in this world is not primarily for the accomplishment of work in the work for the work of others. It's because God is actually after your own heart and growing our own hearts and our own love and our own desire and growing your faith in Him. Our participation is so that the truth of the gospel would grow and would actually reign in your heart so that faith would actually be rooted in His love. And the evidence then of that, the evidence of that growth would then be seen in how we live and how, how fluently the words of the gospel flow into the everyday things of life so that those around us wouldn't, wouldn't be able to get away from the gospel hose. That the gospel would be coming out of us so much they would be spraying everywhere. People would just get soaking wet. Right? That, that everything around us would be saturated because of the gospel because God has grown our faith so much in the things that he's called us to participate in 
that, that we would then walk into and we would do anything he asked us to because we know that not only in our heads that, he, that he's true and that he's powerful and that he's faithful and that he's the one that, that life is actually centered around, but we'd actually know it in our hearts because we've seen him in action. And then we've seen it so many times over and over again that we've we basically we've just sat down in our dad's lap and we've rested and we've actually watched him work. That we would be so rooted in his truth in our lives and our actions that, that, that our actions would just live out the things that he's actually established the love in our own hearts. See, he doesn't need any of us to work for him. He doesn't need us to do anything in this entire city. He doesn't need you to do anything in this world. And yet he's after our own hearts through the participation of the work that he calls us into so that we would actually see him more. And that he would root us and establish us even deeper in his love so that we would, not so that we would accomplish something and that we would live in a certain way, but so that we would actually know his love more in our own, in our own hearts. Verse 18 expands on this even more, reminds us that the good news is not just about you, it's not just about you and God and your own relationship with him, but he's actually after and rather a part of this faith journey, this growing of faith is actually a family reality. That the action of faith is grown in community. Verse 18 says this, that we may have power together with all of the Lord's holy people. Lord's holy people, that's the family of God. God calls his church holy people. That together, as the Lord's holy people, we would understand and grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. It's actually really this, this double-sided coin where, where your faith is grown both as, as you walk in his ways and you learn, learn to, to rely on him and, and he, he seeks your heart and he reminds your heart and as you walk alongside others who are doing the same exact thing. Where you say to one another, you can sit down in that chair. It'll hold you up. I'll show you. Come sit with me. This is how I saw dad work last week. Let's, let's walk with dad together. I know that you may be scared because I'm scared at times. And I, I don't, sometimes those things, those truths in my head, I don't really know if they're true at times. But let's practice faith together. And let's remind each other what is true. Let's, let's pray. Let's talk to dad together. Let, let me help you and you help me learn to live in love. Can you remind me of, of, of the family that I'm a part of? Can you remind me of, of where my root is and who's actually the head of me? That's what the family of God is actually for. That we would be a people that would saturate one another with the gospel and that we would really get, get soaking wet the dry bones and dry areas of our lives where, where we don't actually believe the gospel. So that others would see the way that we loved and the way that we serve one another and they would, out of that, they would actually see our dad. They would see God. See, the good news is that we're not just a part of the family. It's not just, it's, it's not just for you, but it's actually the family's for the world. 
right? That, that, that he's, as he's after our own hearts and as he's rooting us in his love, he's using that as a means to actually draw others to himself as well. And that we get to participate in that plan and, and, and even when we don't know it. And we get to see, other people get to see when they don't know it. They don't even know that what they're looking at, but they would get to see and desire that they would get to find out that there's a dad whose lap is open, who wants them to come and to sit down and to find rest, and that he would draw their hearts to himself. It's why we, we talk about missional communities. It's why we believe missional communities are, most, are the most effective structure for making disciples where when we talk about missional groups, it's a smaller group of people who would, who would gather regularly and engage in life together and be on mission together to a particular people and place in order to make disciples who would walk in truth of the gospel so that more and more people would get to experience our dad and know what it really means to rely on his power and not on our own. And so when we say this is the vision for this family is gospel saturation of L.A. And the, and the greater L.A. area so that every man, woman, and child would have a daily encounter with Jesus through either word or deed, that's what we mean, that the people of God living within a community of our faith so that, so that faith would grow and be rooted in His love and so that others would actually have a daily encounter with God through our interactions with God ourselves. You see, if we just come on a Sunday morning and get some information download and then try to go out and live a life of faith on our own, not only are we going to grow weary, but we're going to miss out on what verse 18 actually says. It says the power together as God's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge so you may be filled to the measure of of all the fullness of God. You see, the reality is and the truth is that you cannot grasp the depth of God without the family of God. And you can't live in the power of the gospel to restore you if you're not in a relationship with people you need to continually be restored to. You can't demonstrate that to a world if you're by yourself. It's how God designed this life of faith to work. You see, L.A. doesn't need some, some more good people out there. It doesn't, it doesn't need some more good information about God. It actually needs the power of God seen through the people of God living the life of love that surpasses the knowledge of God so that the city may be filled with the fullness of God. One of the things we... Um, get to do every year as elders, and we did this past month, is, is to sit down and to pray and to talk about what God has done and what he would have us actually walk into in the future. And there, as we did this this past month in December, um, there are so many evidences of God's grace to grow our faith over these past years. But as I was thinking about that this morning, I thought maybe since this is Celebration Sunday, this would be a good time to talk about this and allow you actually to share some ways that you've actually seen God grow your faith in, within the community here. What are some ways that in this past month, in this past year, in this past seven years, if you've been with us for that long, that God has grown your faith and rooted you in his love as you have walked out 
in the work that he's actually called us to as a family together. What are some ways, what are some evidences that, that God is actually growing and rooting your faith, growing your faith? That's good news that God works through his people in our hearts, and it's about him and those things, yeah. I think there's, there's probably so many stories that I was thinking that, that I could share individually, but as I think corporately um, about the ways that God has, has moved, um, just even in my own life and, and, and our family's life, where from just an, just an idea or a dream that he birthed in, in Jess and I, uh, back in Philadelphia to, to really our, our partnership with the Soma family to the, to the first meeting of Soma LA in our, in our living room in January 2011 to, to the first MC that was in the Wolf's House in Venice to, to MCs in the South Bay to, to the many variations of missional communities we've had over the years from, from one to three to two to four to five to six to four to five to, to seven to nine to, to soon to be 11, right? From, from really from gathering in, in, in our home to, to gathering in a dive bar where we're picking up cigarette butts and bottles so the little ones wouldn't put them in their mouths to, to like gathering in this school where, where God has given us favor here. Um, to really becoming a church that that's financially stable and sustainable, to to be in a church that has now two church planting residents in it, to to Brad coming on staff. God has done some amazing things in our church family over the past years. But it was not just so that we could tell some nice stories, or so that we could sit comfortably with each other and say, "Wasn't this great? Look where we are now." We've arrived. As elders, we believe that God is actually moving us into a new stage as a church in this next year. To be a church that, that's not only just an established church here in Culver City, but that God would grow us and make us a thriving hub for church planting and equipping all across this city and all across the region and all across the world, just like we saw in the church of Ephesus. That gospel saturation of L.A. is not going to happen by one church. Even if this church grew to like a million people, that's not going to cut it in this city. It's going to take many, many churches all throughout, all throughout every area of the city, in Venice and in the South Bay and in South Central and in East L.A. and in Hollywood and in Malibu and in the Valley. Yeah, even in the Valley, churches that, you know what, I'm not a big fan of the Valley, but like even there, right? Like churches that would actually, that would actually live a life of faith in the gospel together, who would work together as one church so that men and women, young and old, Every ethnicity, every economic reality, every industry, everyone, everything and every person in his church would get to grow in joy in sharing about dad in the everyday things of life and live a life centered around the gospel, really celebrating and, and, and prayerfully asking God daily to adopt more kids into his family. That's what we're talking about. And we're going to spin out some more things over those things in the next week because I'm already running out of time. Um, but those are the th- what we're going to work towards. But, but I want you to pray and I want you to dream a little bit about that. What that would look like to see more works in many different areas of the city. 
both this year and five years from now and 10 years from now and 15 years from now and 25 years from now and 50 years from now and 100 years from now until God comes back, that God would move us from, from really just being an established church to a church that would be a church that would be a church planting hub and ascending and equipping center for all of Los Angeles so that the world and the city would get to know the good news of the gospel, that we get to be a part of a new family with the best dad. Really, if we go back to Ephesians 3, we see how Paul ends this prayer, and look at what he says to them in verse 20. He says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church, and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. You realize we're part of that actual prayer. Because, because of that prayer in Ephesus, and because God working those things out, is why we're here now. And the good news is that God is bigger and can do more than we can ever even think or imagine He could do with us. Don't lose faith that God can't work in your life or in the life of your family or in the life of this city. And I want to ask you to begin praying and thinking about the work that God may do in our family. That he would call us to really exercise our faith muscles this year as we walk into a new stage in a new way and that he would do things that we could not even imagine. We wouldn't even... Think about in our own brains. We wouldn't even believe in our own hearts. He has more power and he has a great power that he can do all of those things. That we would be a family that would actually walk in the action of faith. To not just think about or know about a bunch of things in our heads, but that we would actually step into them and that he would grow our faith and he would root us deeply in his love and that would bring him glory both in our own hearts and in the city and for generation to come and come and generation after that and after that and after that. Because that's what we're about. If you're new to our church, that's what we're about. We're about seeing God be made glory and be made the one that is the worth, the one that's most worth being worshipped. And we're going to continue to do that and we're going to continue to live that way and we're going to continue to walk in faith until he calls us home. And we're going to expect him to do amazing things in this city and we're going to think and we're going to dream and we're going to walk into as many of those things as possible. We want to see God equip and send and plant more and more churches that would actually love him and serve him and call people to the good news of the gospel so that they wouldn't have to do it on their own anymore. Or they wouldn't even have to think that once they know him, they still have to do it on their own. So unfortunately, I think that's what we often fall into. All right, I got Jesus, but now I got to do something else. I got to live this life and I got to check these boxes so that I'm a good Christian. We can't do that. We need to walk in the power of Christ to do the work that only He can do. Our Father, thank you that you love us, that you have made us family with one another. Our Father, thank you for the many ways that you have walked and worked in our lives to grow our faith 
to bring us to this point to where you would use us and call us to participate in things that we would never even think or dream or imagine that we'd be a part of. So Father, we pray that you would grow us in these ways. Father, we pray that you would grow your, your larger family in this city in these ways. And Father, we know that we are not the only ones that love you and serve you in this city. Father, we pray for your family this morning that is meeting in many places and in many um, areas. Lord, I pray that you would grow them in the truth of your gospel. Lord, I pray that you would saturate this city with the good news and that many, many churches would be started and planted and that, that this would become the Bible Belt city of our country. How crazy is that? You would do that in our city. And the Father, we ask that you would do that, that you would, you would saturate us with the good news of the gospel, that you would continue to root us in your love, that you would grow our faith, and that, that we would walk in your ways. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.